0: Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart.
1: Hello and welcome to the original cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a great entertainer, a true humanitarian, and my friend for 27 years. It's Jim Gasparro. Everybody, hello. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Good. I'm excited to have you here to talk about many things with with Jim, my 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 long longtime friend. Back when he was was. Well, James, I guess you were. It's hard to it's hard to remember what names we went by in high school.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think Jim because I was trying Jim. to sound more adult.
1: That works. I went by Pat. I don't know why, but it's funny that I run into. I know my my wife can tell what period of my life people know me from by what they call me, which is a pretty good. Uh, it's a nice trick, yeah, party I'm, trick to have.
2: I'm the same way. Jim is anybody in high school. Uh, mm. James is anybody I went to law school with, or a or a colleague who I I probably don't know very well, and <laughs> uh, and Jimmy is uh, anyone that knew me as a kid or any current close friends. <laughs> but we're not here to talk <laughs> so, about
1: what people used to call us in high school. You're here to talk about Bye Bye Birdie. So it is uh unusual that I am present at the uh the moment that I uh, I'm about to ask you about the 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 question I ask all my guests how did Bye Bye Birdie come into your life.
2: Uh Bye Bye Birdie came into my life um I it was my senior year of high school um at uh Salesianum in Wilmington Delaware you might have heard of it. Yeah maybe some of us have heard the of it. The musical that year was Bye Bye Birdie and I thought I listened to it for the first time and to get ready for auditions i thought there's a part in there for me and uh somehow i played uh conrad birdie in the uh the the senior musical to great acclaim to
1: great acclaim we must we must say to great acclaim the titular bye bye birdie actually that's probably a good place to start we should uh to to bring people in who maybe don't know this is actually funny i wonder how many people have only ever seen the movie of Bye Bye Birdie which has almost an entirely different plot and ask can you summarize the plot of the musical Bye Bye Birdie?
2: Yeah I think I I, I think I can yeah uh, so Bye Bye Birdie it starts with Albert Peterson and Rose I want to say her last name's Alvarez I think that's um, right and uh, Albert uh, wrote Conrad's first big hit and um, is kind of in the music business with him and he's getting drafted. And uh I think it's Rose that comes up with the idea, which is kind of, you know, the El- the strong Elvis parallel. They come up with an idea to have a publicity stunt to try and deal with some of Conrad's bad publicity, where they're going to go to a town, uh Sweetwater, Ohio. And um basically one of the he's gonna kiss one of his fans, like one last kiss before he goes into uh, the military. Um, and then uh, between Albert and Rose, there's some a lot going on because uh, she wanted him to be an English teacher, not being involved in the music biz. Uh, Albert's mother is against the two of them being together and is uh, racist. Yeah, no, <laughs> you don't
1: have to ask questions. She's racist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like she's xenophobic at best. Racist yeah, right. <laughs> um,
1: that's what it says on her tombstone. Yeah, so, xenophobic at best.
2: Yes. Uh, so they, they go to the town and, you know, they, uh, they have this publicity stunt with all of Conrad's fans. And uh, he, that's how he gets hooked up with the McAfee's. Kim McAfee has just recently gotten pinned by her boyfriend, and um but she ends up is the one that is uh, uh Conrad's going to kiss and her boyfriend doesn't like it and I think punches Conrad um either before or after the Ed Sullivan show. Um
1: during. It's on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Is it on the Ed Sullivan show? It's on show? the Ed Sullivan okay. show, yeah.
2: Okay. And then um I'm uh it, Kim has her own thing going on. She's like fifteen or sixteen and uh um wants to be more adult and wants to be older. And then basically the second act is them trying to deal with, uh, with Albert and Rose trying to deal with Conrad and uh, Kim trying to figure out what it is she wants to do and whether or not they're going to stage another um, publicity stunt to try and clean up Conrad's image after the disaster of Hugo punching him. And then like, it it just kind of gets bonkers for a bit. Uh, There's a great, there's a great big, there's a great big lot of living to do dance number with uh, Kim and Conrad and Rose trying to all do their separate things. Um, But I recall at at some point Rose ends up kind of, she's upset with uh, Albert because I think Albert's mother introduced like another woman
3: Mm -hmm. possibly.
2: And um, she, Rose flirts with indoor dances and has to be rescued from Shriners.
1: Yes, it you're not feels like, right? Like you're not remembering that wrong. No, that actually happens.
2: <laughs> what what, what happened? happened to the Shriners anyway? Like, well, they, they used to be a big deal, right?
1: so, They did. They used to be. They used to be everywhere. They would drove little cars and wore the hats. Uh, and then you know, life moved on from the Shriners, I guess. Uh, but it does. I, this show takes what's so funny about it to me is that this shows this is one of those well very well constructed shows to me because the central plot of the whole thing is resolved in act one like the setup of what the whole story is going to be about like we're going to do this thing in Ohio and Conrad's going to kiss the girl and that's going to be it that is just the first act and then there's an event at the end of the first act that throws everything into disarray. And the second act is just, like you say, it's nuts. It's just these characters who are stuck in Ohio just being, like, suddenly have nothing left to lose. They've all lost, like, they've kind of lost everything in that moment. And they're kind of like, well, whatever, I'll just go do what I want. And Conrad goes off to, like, get get statutory. And... uh, Yeah, he gets... He gets arrested for statutory. He does. Race. He does get arrested, Yes, <laughs> uh, which he does not commit, but certainly comes damn close. Um, and then, uh, which I think, I think they
2: changed for the movie.
1: Well, yeah, because the, the movie does a lot of like the movie. The movie ends with the Ed Sullivan show scene of like the kid punching. Like that's the end of the end of the movie. The movie has a whole other like series of plots and weird twists in it. But this thing that happens in Act Two, like you're mentioning. That sort of like Rose gets fed up with Albert. And so she becomes Spanish Rose as she sort of sings later. And she decides like, fine, if everyone's just going to think I'm kind of this like slutty Spanish woman, I'll just be that. And she goes to this Shriners meeting and like dances on the tables for them. And like, just to sort of throw herself out there in this sort of revenge way, I guess. And it is, I remember think like watching, doing it in rehearsals and just being like, this all makes sense. Like it's, it's moving from thing to thing, to thing, to thing. And then not, I mean, many, you know, 10 years ago from now watching the video back and just being like, this is nuts. Like this is (laughs) how we were here. We were at like, everybody just sort of runs away and goes to a weird location. And why is it the shrine? Yeah. (laughs) And, And she's just dancing, which is also comes right after, the talk to me that phone call like barbershop soft croony ballad it's just kind of all over the place in act two it works it's very funny but it is maniacal in act two
3: talk to me till I press press you you close to me then you'll see we won't have to talk at all I don't care what you say. Oh, baby, talk, talk to me. Oh, what can you lose? It ain't going And if you miss me, ooh, tell it so. are you lonely? Baby, baby, tell it so. Say you love me. Ooh, tell me ooh, so. Oh, honey,
2: honey, let me know. I mean, I haven't listened to this show in a long time. And I think, I, I saw it one other time a number of years ago. Uh, I think Concord High School in Delaware did it. And my mm-hmm. brother, Bobby, took me to see it. <laughs> they had, they Con- Concord, he's like, Concord High School's doing Bye Bye Birdie. Let's go see it. And we did. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I hadn't really listened to the show. And especially like listening to this podcast and listening to a lot of musicals that I just never got around to seeing or listening to because I'd asked you before about like what's what's your top 10 that people Mm -hmm. should listen to and and you know then revisiting this and I was surprised by how much I really enjoyed it (laughs) yeah it's a (laughs) lot of fun yeah uh, I mean uh, the whole first act for the most part I I really was I, I really was enjoying it the second act, the first time through the second act was a bit of a slog for me. But the second time I went through the second act, I felt like I got I got more of it. I still don't like I'm just not a fan of that ending song. Riff, the, oh, um, of
1: Rosie. Oh, OK.
2: Rosie. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not a fan of the the ending, the ending song, because there's a, some of Albert Peterson's numbers in it are a little slower Um they do a good job of the second act of you know that traditional type of structure and trying to mix it up like they all, with um with lot of living and uh kids reprise and
3: mm-hmm.
2: um spanish rose um but yeah and also like i, I just didn't realize it having not listened to the actual like original cast recording in terms of the cast itself of like you know dick van dyke and cheetah rivera oh, yeah and, like, i didn't realize michael pollard was hugo yeah um yes he was so yeah, I was like, "Oh, this is nice." <laughs> so, I, I really,
1: I really enjoyed it. it. It's a really, it is a. I mean, it's, it, it. I think the best word for it there is that it is a really fun show, and I think that one of the reason it it works is that it it is a very. I wouldn't say it's cartoony exactly, but it's kind of caricature-y. At the beginning like it set it set it sets its tone very very well that it's going to be silly and kind of weird and goes through it goes through that whole that whole thing at the beginning of act one to get us into the stuff of act two when you have like the ice like the ice house i think for a lot of live and reprise and it suddenly turns into i mean the kids right. want to have an orgy but they don't know what that means so they sort of are making it up as they go along and it just gets kind of nuts, but it 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 does set itself up really nicely in act one. One thing, though, that's struck me about this show, like how traditional traditional musical this is, like when you look at the trajectory of like the American musical through the 50s into the 60s, you still have these moments where this sort of holdover from the older school, like vaudeville and stuff where everything's just going to stop so we can sing a really catchy song for a minute. We're just going to make up a dumb reason why it's in the plot. The big example in this show is Put On A Happy Face, which is obviously the big hit from this show.
2: Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, definitely.
1: That scene is meaningless, does not need to be in the the musical at all, except to give Dick Van Dyke a moment to sing and do a little soft show, soft shoe. Uh, Right. it, it, It just, the whole show stops so he can cheer up this, like, one really depressed Conrad Bernie fan while they wait for the train. <laughs> yeah. gonna sing <laughs> it is like a four-minute song,
2: but it is—it well, it is, I think that you know, probably the best-known, biggest mm-hmm. hit from the show. Gray skies are gonna clear
3: up, put on a happy face, brush off the clouds and cheer up, put on a happy face, take off the gloomy mask of tragedy. It's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile Pick out a pleasant outlook Stick out that noble chin Wipe off that full of doubt look Slap on a happy grin And spread sunshine all over the place Just put on a happy face
1: it is a very, like, loosely constructed comedy with some pretty high concept numbers on it. I'm amazed re-listening to it now, just how high concept some of these numbers are. When you have a song like him for a Sunday evening, which is yeah. really, really a banana song. Like, that we're, we're going to sing about Ed Sullivan for, for this length of time in this yeah. way.
3: I've got a wonderful wife, two swell kids, a good job, and now this. <laughs> so-
2: how quick that character kind of does his turn is also a big part of the, the comedy of it, how he's kind mm. of against it. And then when he realizes he's going to get on the Ed Sullivan show, yeah. you know, because there, you know, there, there is a little bit about, but there is a little bit in this show in terms of the, um, the, the madness around celebrity, especially people. this yes. like And like, that's a, that's a little bit of the bit of it, you know? So even Harry McAfee, uh, can can fall prey to that. It, it is a really
1: funny, like looking back now on, do. I mean, we, obviously when you do a show when you're 16, 17 years old, you don't like, you're not getting all the bits. And this show when we did it was 27 years old. And so a lot of the jokes were, were completely misunderstood. But like looking back now on this show and the history of it and understanding Paul Lind, who played Harry McAfee originally and sort of what his whole style and comedy was his sort of presentation is a lot of what makes the writing of harry mcafee funny and the sort of Im- impulse you have as a as a 16 year old actor playing someone's dad just to yell a lot is the wrong impulse it's supposed to be this kind of like how will we ever beat the russians you know kind of <laughs> kind of ineffective <laughs> line in that song. Thing. it's so it's so great <laughs> And it doesn't, it it works when you do it in the Paul like that that style. But when it's like, I remember watching the um they did a TV movie version of this with Jason Alexander and George yeah, Went And George uh, Went. And, and George, I remember watching that at the time and just thinking, like, George Went isn't funny in this part, and I can't quite figure out why. And I think it is just because it's written for more of the Paul Lind. Charles Nelson Reilly type. You don't want it to be the sort of big bombastic, stereotypical dad. You want it to be this kind of oddly atypical dad who still, you know, fits into this brand of comedy. The,
2: the one I still don't get is uh, um, I don't mind the moonlight swim, but it's the loop de loop that hurts. Yeah, and I don't I'm get, get like, that either. Hold <laughs> I don't
3: mind the moonlight swims. It's the loop, the loop that hurts. Kiss. We ever beat the Russians, kids? I didn't know what puberty was until I was almost past it. Laughing, singing, dancing, grinning, morons. And while we're on the subject, kids.
1: It is no. This is not an exaggeration, Jim. But you are triggering for me. I mean, I did. We did. I did four musicals over four years in high school, obviously, and sang some dumb stuff. But performing kids is remains probably my least favorite thing I ever did in a musical because I did not because I didn't get the jokes. Once we got past the initial, why can't they be like we were perfect in every way, you know, which is a good joke. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Like you say, I didn't understand the little like I did, I never once delivered the line. I didn't know what puberty was until I was almost past it. I didn't deliver that line correctly one time. <laughs> the entire, you know, it never worked coming out of my mouth. I just didn't. And like you say, I did. I still don't understand. It's not. It's it's the loop. The loop that hurts. I don't know what that means. Right. I also never asked that- our director Charlie Crawford what what <laughs> that meant. I don't think I wanted him to tell me if he knew. Frankly. Uh, but right. it, 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 it just always, the, the, I, 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 it was one of those moments you have sometimes when you're a performer where I'm just like, this is not the right part for me in this moment. There's just something about me delivering these lines. It's just not working and it's not going to
2: work, I don't think. Well, I, that is another good line. And that puberty line is another yeah. good line in that, in that song. But I don't think there was anybody that could, anyone else, in terms of the Sally's at the time that they could have played that part.
1: <laughs> no one else at Slazy Anim in 1997 in the spring could have possibly played. Right. <laughs> speaking,
2: speaking, of, speaking of Charlie Crawford, my yeah. favorite memory, my favorite memory of Bye Bye Birdie um, is they were, Charlie wanted to take photos of me in costume to like blow up into posters and,
3: mm-hmm. pins,
2: you know, for like mm-hmm. promotional stuff. And so we met on the stage one night, like after rehearsal, and he took a bunch of photos. And like after a couple of days, I didn't see any of them. Now Charlie might have a totally different recollection of this, <laughs> but I remember I remember asking the asking him and um like what where's the photos? Mm-hmm. Like you were gonna do this and you were gonna do that. And he's like, Uh, you know what, Gasparo? You're not you're not very photogenic. <laughs> And if, you, if you've seen any of the selfies I've posted on Twitter as a 42 year old man, you know that that's just not true. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not incredibly
1: photogenic.
2: I don't think that that's. So I think it was him. I think it was him yeah, and the camera.
1: Think, I think maybe he wasn't much of a photographer, I'm going to say. I'm going to be a wild guess with his Instamatic back there in but the that, late 90s. That
2: happened, oh, that's that happened funny. 25 years ago, and yeah. I've never forgotten it. That's I sometimes funny. wake up at night and I think about it. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <the> photos, Chuck. <laughs> Where are the photos?
3: It's a lie. I am. It's, a, lie. it's a very photogenic.
2: <laughs> it, one of the things I was I, I was looking up stuff about the show now that, you know, unlike when we did it, there's the internet, which right. is nice. Um, but I was looking at I I think whoever I think it was I don't think it was Charles Strauss. I think it was whoever produced the show, said so they had an idea for a, a musical called Let's Go Steady, a happy teenage musical with a difference. <laughs> I was curious <laughs> what I was, well, I don't know if with a difference worked its way. No, I don't. I don't difference.
1: know that it did. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, but like I, I love digging into like that type of stuff in terms of those little tidbits of things. Like there was an interview I came across with Charles Strauss, I think it was Charles Strauss saying that they had initially named Conrad Birdie Conway Twitty until Conway yeah. Twitty threatened to sue them, and they didn't know there was a real Conway <laughs> Twitty, so they changed it to Con- Conrad Birdie. And I'm like, well. Like Conway Twitty was around in nineteen 19- yeah. fifty nine. <laughs> yes, uh, he was. He had a hit. He had some hits. Got a couple of like hits. Like right before he, right before he broke big. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, <laughs> in any event, yeah, I had a good time looking at stuff about the show. I, I was curious as to what you thought. Like, how listening to it now, how well do you think it's it's aged? Because I know in twenty sixteen, NBC said they were going to do it live. Right with Jennifer Lopez, I think, as yes. Rose, and Harvey Fierstein was working on the book and he said he was making some changes to it in terms of Albert and Rose's relationship. But, you know, overall, um, like a song like Lovely To Be A Woman, which I think has very, you know, 1950s traditional type of teenage girl. I've never been a teenage girl, but, you know, from other media that I've consumed in terms of what a teenage girl thinks it's like to be a woman. But it's mm-hmm. also like there's parts of it that are like oddly positive. And maybe it's just a movie because like Anne-Margaret in the movie plays it like it's an unbelievably well done song, well directed scene in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, you know, it, I was just thinking about, about that. How lovely
0: to be a woman. The weight was well worth while. How lovely to wear mascara and smile a woman's smile. How lovely to have a figure that's round instead of flat. Whenever you hear boys whistle, you're what they're whistling at. It's wonderful to feel. Well, how
1: lovely to be a woman is supposed to be like deeply ironic. Because there's the yeah. bit in it where she's getting dressed. She's getting changed from school clothes, which is like this dress. It was a very nice dress into like jeans and a sweatshirt and a hat. And the joke is supposed to be that she's like, well, I'm grown up now. I've been pinned. I'm like 15. So I'm a woman. <laughs> and it's also followed by the scene. I, th- I think it follows the scene or it immediately precedes the scene where um, she calls her, like her mother and father by their first names because they're all adults now. It's like this big thing. It's a very good book scene. But, you know, and it, it, oh, yeah. it, right. it is this, but it's, it's such a, again, that's another joke where it's kind of like, I don't think that joke would play anymore in, it, in that form. But I think there's enough in the song How Lovely To Be A Woman in the sort of the lyrics being so like, it, it's such a 15-year-old, privileged white girl of the sixties vision of what it is to be a woman that she can like stay out till after 10, you know, like that, that makes her something you could do when you're a woman all of a sudden. And I think you could do that in such a way that the irony would work better. You'd have to play, you'd really have to play a lot of this stuff up. I don't know. I mean, aside from, like you say, Albert's mom being at best xenophobic, which I like, (laughs) A lot I like that sentiment. <laughs> She's at best xenophobic. Uh, is, you, you really have to play up how like, parody-ish the show is, which it is. It's very parody of its time. I mean, it's very tongue-in-cheek look in, at, at 1961. I think that's why it was such a big hit was because it is very much just a, a str- you know, like making fun of, of the people sitting in the house, you know, that are uh, the people who are watching the show. I think it will, you know, so I think if you played up the parody of it, it could work really well. The problem would be if you played it too straight, I think then you'd be, all those little weird idiosyncrasies would kind of come out.
2: Like I said, I was surprised how much I I really liked it and mm. and and very much enjoyed it. Uh, to the point where when I saw it on the Wikipedia page, I went and checked out Bring Back Birdie.
1: Oh, I was going to ask you if your research led you to Bring Back Birdie. It uh... <laughs> <laughs> The sequel, was, not, not a I lot of musicals NYC. get sequels. Um, even fewer are in any way successful. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is a funny, like, it was a very logical thing. In 1980, when they made this thing, being like, well, Bye Bye Birdie was still like the most produced American musical in the history of published musicals. Like everybody was doing it all over the place. So they decided to... Make a sequel that ran for four performances. On Broadway. I know. They um, did release a cast album, though.
2: I listened to it. Thinks I'm gonna cry while well,
0: I'm not. Thinks I'm gonna die while well, I'm not. Thinks I'm gonna mope around. A- not, not a chair.
2: Well I'm not. I mean I thought a lot of the songs sounded fine, but then when you read the plot summary, like yeah. it's off the rails. I mean, I, I guess they tried to capture some of that I don't I don't the Shriner's magic, but the I think the I think Albert and Rose's daughter joins the Moonies. Yeah, it <laughs> Well it really feels so what's so
1: funny about a sequel to Bye Bye Birdie to me is the the plot of Birdie is really super secondary. It's the characters and the situate like that in this world. It's the characters existing in the sixties. That's where the humor comes from. It comes from the fact that you have the sort of ap- apparently stereotypical American family that isn't, you know, or is, and maybe the point is that they're idiosyncratic. And you've got Rosie, and you've got Albert, and you've got Conrad, and you throw them into this environment and the more like Rosie and Albert and May try to control the situation, the more it gets out of control. I mean, that's the basic premise. So a sequel to that, like usually you do a sequel because there's more, there's either more to tell or you want to expand like of the story or you want to expand upon the characters, but the characters aren't that deep. You know, they're just really good in the show and the story is over at the end of the show. Like it's very much over (laughs) the end. Right. And, like, I, what, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing left to tell, frankly. Right. It's just sort of, you know, that's it.
2: And to, t- and to take it in a direction that is so plot heavy. Yes. I mean, so plot heavy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very. A lot of focus bizarre. on plot.
1: Yeah. A lot of focus yeah. on plot.
2: And, but, and cr- crazy, crazy though, that you get Cheetah Rivera to reprise her role and you replace. Dick Van Dyke with Donald
1: O'Connor. Donald O'Connor. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> yeah, <nuts. laughs> that is nuts. It is. Um, I mean, famously one of one of the famous one of the famous flops in uh, in in American theater history. <laughs> uh, funny to me though that like, like say there aren't many musical sequels. Period in the world. However, two of them and two of the sort of most uh, bring, bring back Birdie and Annie Two Miss Hannigan's Revenge are both written by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams
2: that can't Uh, be real that's real
1: that's absolutely (laughs) real it sounds made up doesn't it it sounds completely made up something i really want to talk to you about because it's something i know i know very little about uh but you are you are deep in the paint on um is is comic books oh because what what is so funny about like I say to the listener, Jim and I have known each other for 27 years. That's true. But we haven't known each other consistently all 27 of those years. And so only probably within the last like five plus years, have you like with the existence of Twitter and social media, have you and I been in regular contact? I would, I would imagine. And that, that's fair. <laughs> so you're a content editor for Comic Book Yeti yeah the, the website and yeah. you are a i mean all i see on your twitter are projects you're supporting and indie comics you are um pushing and writing like i hoping for more content from various artists
2: how did you get
1: into the comic book world like that
2: um uh, so um i i liked comic books as a kid but then as i got older and you know in high school and college you're always reading for class and whatnot so um can you still hear me if i take out yeah okay uh you're always re- i'm always reading stuff for for class and never had time to get back into comic books but i i guess it was about i don't know probably 10 years ago i was somewhere and somebody was talking about comic books and the story sounded interesting and i was like oh yeah comic books i could i could check that out and uh especially when comic books were available digitally i started reading more comic books digitally and then um after my oldest daughter charlotte was born and she just turned nine um since my wife's a photographer she's you know shooting weddings and doing things on the weekends and charlotte and i would need something to do and there's a comic book shop right down the street uh so we started going in there on the weekends to hang out and just led to me reading more comic books and then you know going on social media and Twitter and engaging more with people that are writing comic books because you can have access to people who are writing. And, um, yeah, I, I comic book Yeti was a website that I really liked how they reviewed comics. Like I thought they had an interesting style and, um, eventually I decided I wanted to start writing for them to review comic books as something to do. Uh, wow. and then, yeah, so I started doing that. They asked me to be the, they asked me if I wanted to try my hand at interviews. And I said, yeah, that sounds fun. Um, I always thought as a lawyer, I wasn't trained to do anything else. Turns out really good at asking questions. So so, I think I'm good at it anyway. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I started interviewing creators and then they, they asked me to be the interview content editor. And so I've been doing that for like a couple of months now, but, and then I just, this year had my first short comic published in an anthology um so that was fun and i think i started writing i guess the middle of last year as i i just wanted a creative outlet like i said i i used to have theater and you know for 10 years now i haven't had theater and i haven't really done anything creative so um since i was reading so many comic books and getting into it i thought i'd try my hand at writing so um it's been you know it's been fun submitting to anthologies racking up a lot of rejections but that's part sure. of it And um but it was, it was great. It was it was yeah, honestly it was it was really it was really cool to think I'm like you know 41 well 42 now and to see like you know it's a four page short but it's like in an anthology. It says writer Jimmy Gasparro. <laughs> so, um, but yeah that's a, a very long answer as to how I got back into slowly reading and then writing reviews, interviewing creators, and now trying my hand and and writing some of my own stories
1: so i always find found and find comics to be daunting for an entry point um sort of where do you get on with with like yeah. where do you get on this carousel and obviously of the last like you know 10 years uh right. comics have exploded again as they do sort of cyclically in in the public consciousness sure. um And we've also we went through this awkward period, which I I feel like we're coming out of. Though probably that's a little naive to say, but this sort of like gatekeepery, protectory sort of thing that always can kind of come with that kind of nerd culture of things getting very insular and you know and and negative to keep to keep people out. Um, But this was uh, so. so I've always had kind of a uh, like a problem finding an on-ramp into the world of comics. And it sounds that that ability to just dive right in is probably the, like you said, when you're sitting around reading them in, in the shop with your daughter is probably the, the easiest way, but how would you recommend somebody like gets on board with what's going on? A,
2: yeah. Um, no, that's a great question. And it, it depends on what it is you're looking for. Um, one of the other sites that I write for is called uh gate crashers. They, um, and that's like their whole thing. Like it's not just comic books, it's movies and TV and, professional wrestling whatever you like and their their whole um, their whole deal is you know the gate crashers cuz the opposite of gatekeeping they want you mm-hmm. to find what it is you like um but it, in terms of comic books in general yeah sometimes with like the big two Marvel and DC it can be daunting to dive into a character that has you know i don't know 60 70, 70 years, years history of history yeah right. Out. Yeah. Figure out where am I going to start? So I I, I guess it just depends on what it is you're looking for. Um, Superhero type of stuff can be kind of tough, but there's so many different types of comics out there. Like horror comics are really big now. So if you like reading horror stories, there is plenty of self-contained graphic novels that you could just pick up, you know, a hundred to 200 page graphic novel and have a, a great time with, um, uh, I, I read a bunch of uh, science fiction stuff and, you know, it's not, it, it's self-contained stories, a lot of those things. So it just, it depends on what it is you like. Um, but there's a lot of sites out there that can kind of direct you in terms of, you know, where you want to start. Um, especially with having kids, there's a ton of like, you know, young adult and uh, kid oriented graphic novels that are great for kids to start. And um, Charlotte, my daughter who's dying now, I mean, she, she reads a ton of, you know, books for school, but she reads a ton of graphic novels and just loves it. And she's been doing it and reading for, you know, a few years now. And um, I, I think the, the best place to go is probably figure out what it is you're looking for. And then like a site like I have, like comic book Yeti, you can go and look and see what we're reviewing and what we're talking about. Or if you have a local comic book shop, it's always a good place to go in and say, hey, I'd like to check out comics, uh, this is what I like to read or this is like, I like, I like to watch. And, and just about anybody will be able to recommend something or just find me on Twitter at, at Jimmy Gasparro <laughs> and ask <laughs> me.
1: And he will tell you. The comics. And you even go. if
2: it's big, even if it's Marvel or DC superhero stuff, there's plenty of self-contained stories. If you're like, you know, especially I've had parents who have said when they find out, you know, when I'm the 40 year old man showing up at a party and, like a graphic t-shirt and a hoodie and they're like are you a character in the big bang theory i'm like no i'm a human person that likes
1: this stuff uh hard crashing for a second back into bye bye birdie though i have to ask you before we wrap up what is your favorite song i am now here's my thing i i couldn't decide whether you'd pick one you performed or not because i know what my favorite song to watch you perform was
2: Oh, okay. So, but give me
1: your favorite. I will tell you, I don't want to influence you. So okay. you tell me what your favorite is and I'll tell you what my favorite song to watch you sing was.
2: So I knew this was coming because right. I've listened to every episode of this podcast. Um, and I, I, I liked Conrad's songs and, and there was a part of me that was, that was like, I like these, but they're, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of, you know, mimicking that Elvis type of style and, um i i really thought about it like taking any nostalgia out of it and what i really thought about it my favorite song is uh english teacher really (laughs) i i've listened to it like 10 times like every time i would start to put this on and cycle through i'd I'd go to that i i just i really love that song
1: huh yeah i mean it's a great song I, i i think you're That's a really good tune, but I I, I never would have picked that to be the one you choose.
2: Yeah, but it's the one that like when I'm jogging around the neighborhood, like, you know, Mr. Five Beta Kappa Peterson, like I just singing it to myself like over and over again. And I'm, yeah, it's the one that gets stuck in my head. It's my favorite.
1: It's a good one. I'm not, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really good and it's a great opening it's not quite the opening number for this show, but it's a it, it pretty much is right. It's a character set up and it's a good it's a good end. It's a fun, fun end to the show. I, my favorite song to watch you sing was Honestly Sincere. That was a fun well, because it was a fun moment to be because I mean, basically the bit of this, you know, it's a it's the most elvishy songs in the show. And the basic gimmick being the fact that, like every woman on stage faints as the number goes on and being one of the guys in that number is funny because you're always having to like fall out of the way. Like I remember there were some rehearsals where people would be like landing on like, we had, okay, someone has got to move two steps to the left here. Cause so, you know, someone's hitting the floor pretty hard, but my, <laughs> uh, my wife was the last one, I think to pe- pass out. So I got to actually watch the number. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun. It's a really fun, it, but it's a hard song to perform. I mean, because like people have been talking about how great Conrad Birdie is. For half an act, and it's like your first entrance is on this right song.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean um, l- listening to the songs again, and it was it was uh, you know kind of similar to something you said about um, you know how you played it then in high school, you know, so when I was eighteen and probably. You know, ten years younger than Conrad would have been now at forty-two, and mm-hmm. you know, fourteen years older than Conrad would have been. Still, like, I, I, I kept thinking, like, well, man, I would have done this a lot differently, you know? so, and <laughs> I would have done this, I would have done that, and like, do you think I could still play this somewhere? And it's like, no, no, you can't, you can't, you can't.
1: No, you've, aged, <laughs> I think you've aged out of Conrad, but you know, there's a lot of great parts in this, as we talked about
2: there there are but no there i think you've yeah.
1: aged out of conrad unfortunately i will i will say i have I yeah have. haven't we all though is the uh that's the tr- that's yep. the terribleness of it uh jim thank you so much for for coming to talk to me tonight especially about the comic book stuff which is great where can people find you on twitter to learn what comic books they should be reading and other um, things
2: yeah i'm uh i'm on twitter at um See, I'm going to forget what my name is I, I was about to look it up I think I'm at Jimmy Gasparo, yes, you are uh, at uh, at Twitter and that's pretty much the only place on, on social media I am but yeah you can also look for stuff I've written in terms of reviews or interviews at comic book Yeti and I also write for um, Gate Crashers I think their website is like gatecrasherspod.fan pod dot fan so yeah you can find me at either one of those two places and if you know if you like musical theater and comic books. Yes. And, you know.
1: Yes, this is the say, account say for hello. you.
2: Yeah, this is it.
1: You have one stop shop.
2: My, my two things. And every once in a while they'll combine. Um, like, I, I think I heard Brian Michael Bendis, who is a big, huge comic book writer, writ, written a lot of Spider-Man, who was apparently thinking about writing his next graphic novel about the two weeks he spent on set on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark.
1: Whoa. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yep. That and is. He
2: has a story to tell. He, I'm <laughs> sure he does. His going in the
0: army is the best thing he could do. Now you're free to start to do what you wanted to. Albert, 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 I remember how you told me I should trust you for a year. It would just be for a year, but it's eight years I Long years, Albert.
3: Rosie, it takes time to build a business.
0: It was only a sideline, that's what you said. You just needed some money, that's what you said. You were going to college and get ahead instead of being a music business bum. You were going to NYU and become an English teacher. An English teacher, an English teacher if only
1: The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at OriginalCastPod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. Well, thanks to Jim Gasparo for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.
0: An English teacher is real someone. How proud I'd be if you had become one. It could have been such a wonderful life. I could have been Mrs. Peterson, Mrs. Albert Peterson, Mrs. Phi Beta Kappa Peterson, the English teacher's one.